The objective to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and Gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. My name is Andy Arbery, and he joined by Lauren Gunn. Lauren, how you doing? I am doing wonderfully. If you can see, he's actually, Winston is being calm today. So hopefully <laughs> things, things will be A-OK in the <laughs> podcast awesome. department. Nice, nice. Listen, we we enjoy Vincent, uh, Winston. I was about to say Vincent. Although maybe you should maybe you should get a cat named Winston and sorry Vincent Goddamn all right <laughs> great start to this podcast on a on a Monday afternoon folks if you listen to this it's Tuesday morning but we hope you are doing well um, there's a lot of stuff to get through a uh, lot of stuff that we have to talk about in the NBA world this is uh, again like I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast it is the Christmas time for for the NBA universe because of trade deadline. You know, playoffs are slowly but surely coming. And then there's the All-Star Weekend in a couple of weeks as well. So it really is a, a busy time in the NBA. Uh, I think this was a very hectic week, mm-hmm. not only because of Rivalry Week in the NBA, which is an awesome concept, by the way. I love mm-hmm. it. I'm sad that they have just recently implemented it. This should have been a thing a very long time ago. Um, rivalry week is essentially matching up some of the most historic rivalries, some, you know, kind of team rivalries. We had the Grizzlies and Warriors. We had the Knicks and Celtics with their historic rivalry. We're going to get into a couple of those games. Um, the Knicks getting the overtime win in Boston, Brunson with the game winning block. That was great. Mm -hmm. The Sixers and Nuggets on Saturday. I think that's where we saw the best rivalry games, the Sixers and Nuggets, with the battle of Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. Embiid just looked absolutely unstoppable. He had 47, 18, 5, 2, and 1. Um, he was just out of this world uh, incredible. And I think the the thing with the, with the Sixers right now, and we're going to touch on them a little bit later, but when it comes to Embiid, he seems pretty pissed off about the, uh, the uh, all-star starter spot. And maybe even uh, for the lack of some MVP love, I know a lot of people have brought up Jokic. You know, Durant has been in the conversation, Jason Tatum. Uh, but with the Sixers surging recently, it seems like he should be getting some love too. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. And finally, this is the this is the rivalry that you know some people say it's the best rivalry in sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, some would argue that, although I'm not as well versed in the baseball stuff. Maybe there are. You know, Yankees, Red Sox. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not either. That is not yeah. my area. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would say it is it is probably the best rivalry in basketball, and that is the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Boston Celtics. Uh on Saturday that went to overtime, although to the chagrin of the Los Angeles Lakers, who probably thought they were gonna be winning that game in the fourth quarter. Uh, as some of you have probably seen, Patrick Beverly, the meme of him pointing the camera to the referee and showing him that he got this on 4k (laughs) side story, by the way, a very, very small side story. I did the exact same thing to a professor once. Um, he had told me, he's like, he's like, you know, you should have done that. You should have done this. Uh, and I was like, I did literally exactly what you just said. And he's like, no, 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 you didn't. Don't, don't argue with me. I'm like, okay. 
I have I have the film. Do you want me to show you? And then oh my he God. just Yeah, I got a technical foul that day, let's just say. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was not good. It was not good. But oh, that's man. why we're uh, we're podcasting, folks. That's why <laughs> no. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> um but look, no, Patrick Beverly was incensed. LeBron James was also incensed. We saw the the video of him reacting and and kind of going crazy. Another meme to add to mm-hmm. the ever-growing LeBron James meme catalog. Um, I think there is some validity to the Lakers being pissed off, to be honest with you. And although I feel like the Lakers aren't the team that, you know, when it comes to refereeing and the whistle and whatnot, you know, a lot of people like to say that that they don't get the benefit of the doubts. But the Lakers have been in a situation this season where they can't afford to lose games. Mm-hmm. And have lost out on multiple games this year because of a missed call. Yeah. Um, this referee saga is is pretty interesting to me because this is the first time I've seen referees apologize. They actually made a tweet. The, the official NBA referee account made this tweet. And this is hilarious. This is such a funny tweet, Lauren. <laughs> they They said... Like everyone else, referees make mistakes. We made one at the end of last night's game, and that is gut-wrenching for us. This play will weigh heavily and cause sleepless nights as we strive to be the best referees we can be. Laura, what do you think? You know, I'm going to be completely honest. I did not see that tweet because I have that account blocked because the whole thing (laughs) just drives me absolutely crazy. Um, But... That tweet is hilarious. I mean, I think <laughs> LeBron James is probably the only person in NBA history that could actually warrant a response, a public response immediately yeah. from officials. Yeah. So I think it's hilarious. Um, I absolutely think it's it's a valid the the anger, the frustration is is valid. Um, but I, along with I'm sure many other fan bases, have very much been a part of the other side where the Lakers have benefited <laughs> from not getting calls that have yeah. cost you the game. So right. on one hand, I'm like, well, what goes around comes around. But to me, the biggest issue of all is you can't be having this. If we're going to be taking the time to challenge calls and take the time to make sure we're getting it right, you absolutely can't have moments like this where it then dictates something as especially when you're looking at the 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 western conference standings and and how tight things are you yeah. can't have little mo- not even little you can't have significant moments like this um that could have and probably will have significant impact on the course of an nba season for a franchise especially one as big as the lakers that's actually crazy yeah. um and, and even i mean even if you want to go down the technical route with pat bev getting the tech if you're a player, I could have 100% see Luca doing the exact same thing, pulling out some camera and walking over to a rep <laughs> and being like, are you blind? And if you're a player that, you know, typically gets a lot of technicals and could be looking at that potential six, I believe it's 16. Once you hit 16, you're suspended yeah. for a game. Yeah. If that, yeah. I mean, if LeBron were right there or Luca or a big name player had gotten something off of being right like that, and that was the technical that then led to the suspension, like there are just a million things wrong with this whole situation and the the officiating the potentially finding the refs i don't to be quite honest with you as i don't know what the answer is personally i'm glad, I don't. I'm glad you said that because i have some solutions i, have I would solutions. love to hear the solutions because to me 
finds i i see it and i get it but like we're not talking about the same income that these players are having Absolutely and, not. I, and i no, don't no. really think that that's the answer so so tell me your solution tell me so you okay before before i go into the solution i think the biggest issue for me when it comes to the officiating and by the way mm-hmm. to your point of you know hey they miss calls and the lakers right. they always get the favorable whistle i think in the larger scale of things it's pretty even. It goes back yeah, and forth. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I completely I think, agree. You know, for the most part, some teams get bad whistles, some teams get good whistles, and then throughout the course of an 82 game season, it sort of evens out. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you can you can nitpick and you can kind of poke poke things, kind of poke and pry at certain aspects of the game, whether it be the more subjective calls, like um, you know, an offensive foul, or you know what I mean, like a yeah. shooting foul is also a little bit of a subject subjective call. So there is a level of subjectivity when it comes to officiating in, in basketball where there really isn't there isn't that type of subjectivity in baseball, even though the umpire has so much control over what happens, which is 100 percent ridiculous also, because if if you're watching it live on TV, again, not a big baseball guy, but just from 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 my casual observations, <laughs> if you're watching it on TV, they have the little box where the pitcher has to get it into, right? Has to throw mm-hmm. it into that spot. And you can yep. see it on TV. You can see when it is either a strike or it's 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 a ball, I believe, right? It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can literally you can literally see it, okay? And the mm-hmm. umpire still has the decision in his hands. That I think is a ridiculous aspect of baseball. If you can see it on TV, I'm sure the umpire can also be uh, kind of override overridden this this situation the same thing sort of applies in basketball when the entire world is watching uh jason tatum slap lebron james across the forehead Mm -hmm. i think there has to be some kind of hey wait whoa 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 one second here let's go and double check this because everybody is clearly seeing something that these three officials are not seeing yeah, and if I can j- chime in real quick here, one thing that drives me absolutely bonkers is when they pan it over to Steve Javi in Secaucus, and he, what right. does he do? Every single time he backs what was called on the floor. There's never any, oh, well, there is no their opportunity to override something <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. everybody apparently agrees and everything that happens on the floor is is flawless. And that is something right. that drives me crazy because you can't address an issue until you take accountability that there is... Mm-hmm. There has been a lot of errors that have been made. And in the last two minute report, it's just like that, that to me, that's not, that's well, not enough. But anyway, keep, it's continue. a backward system. No, I think that that was my next point. This last two minute report is the biggest issue I have with the way the officiating is structured because the NBA decides after the fact, if the <laughs> referees have made a, a mistake. And obviously they did that here with this Lakers and Celtics game. They admitted that they were wrong. The last two minute report also reported that they were wrong. But that's not the only time this has happened, ladies and gentlemen. I literally, there's no data to search this up. I couldn't find any numbers of how many calls the referees made and how many they didn't. And to be honest with you, if I went and did that for every single last two minute report, (laughs) this podcast would be delayed for a couple more hours at the very least. But I did go and search up. I literally just did a Google search. I said, how many last two minute reports NBA? That's all I said. I didn't say anything else. That's all I said. Okay. And I went on the news tab on Google and mm-hmm. I had four screenshots, okay, of different games. Lakers, Celtics, last two minute report. Last two minute report denies Bulls, Zach Levine foul claim. Uh, last two minute report, Donovan Mitchell was fouled twice in final minutes of the game. Last two minute, minute, minute report cites seven missed calls in Lakers, Mavs. 
Last two-minute report uh, changed, uh, admits game-changing missed call in Warriors-Grizzlies game. Last two-minute report says a bad break for the Chicago Bulls. Last two-minute report says there were five incorrect calls in the Pacers-Sixers game. Uh, last two-minute report says the Kings have been the most disadvantaged team this season. Oh, I just that look, pains so, me. Yeah, so, so to my point is these last two-minute reports have clearly shown that the referees are making mistakes at, at, at very crucial moments of this game, yeah. of, of these games. So what does that change for you? There is no real, obviously the finding thing, I agree with you. I don't think they should be finding the players or sorry, finding the referees. That right. doesn't make too much sense to me. But what if there was a system that in real time, like, like VAR for soccer, you know, maybe, maybe there's uh, an official with kind of the, the Secaucus in their ear saying, hey, you might want to double check that one. Now, I yeah. know they still have the official review. I know there are coaches challenged. They do have these things in place, but it just doesn't feel like there's enough willingness to check these plays that seem to like the majority of people watching the game seem outrageous. Yeah, I don't think the last two minute report works. I think mm-hmm. there has to be a better safeguard, something that in that moment can fix it, because what's the point of reporting you've made a mistake when it doesn't change the outcome of the game? Yeah it's it's becoming absurd and and i i when you were reading those headlines it brought me back to the lakers mavs game where there was that play where tim hardaway jr very clearly fouled i think it was i believe it was a three-point attempt and it just didn't get called all right yeah, yeah some of these games when you see stuff like when it is a material like there is a very important event taking place and it's going to decide the outcome of a game and there's either no response or there's no explanation. That's another thing that drives me absolutely crazy is when a lot of these players will talk about their interactions with the officials going up, either asking for an explanation or trying to challenge something. And, and obviously they're, they're going to be emotional. This is their, this is yep. their, their, their job. And so they're going to have a reaction. And so to kind of just be dismissed of, Oh, I'm not giving you an explanation or that's enough or, you know, whatever the case may be, especially guys like, like LeBron or even like Luca on a, LeBron probably typically gets an explanation, but some of these guys that maybe have these, you know, quote unquote reputations, that is, we can't have that either. That's, I think there needs to be room for the emotional reaction, especially, I think that also kind of comes into yeah. play with when you make a big play and you're flexing or yep. even like the Mikhail Bridges, when he like shot at, I think it was even the Maz bench. Like, I'm sorry, but that is a, like, come on, how are you, you're going to, you're going to call tech. I think that, Look, I 100% agree with you on that. I think the taunting tech is ridiculous. I it's think ridiculous. it's like depriving us of some of the most fun moments in the NBA. You go back 100%. and look at some of the most entertaining moments. It's Steph doing the night night. Okay. Is yeah. that a technical foul for you? Is, is him yeah, saying good night to the yeah. rest of the Celtics Does that hurt team? your feelings? Like, yeah. it's just a little, come on. We gotta, we right. gotta get it back a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And to our point about, you know, the last two minute report and how it might be affecting the Lakers. Again, I don't think the Lakers are the most disadvantaged team when it comes to this Mm-mm. situation. They've probably had their fair share of wins because of this as well. But I do think for the Lakers who are stuck in that middle of the Western Conference fighting for a playing spot, losing these games like this, it's it's a tough pill to swallow that four point loss against the Celtics in overtime. And then you have. Uh, they, they squeaked one out against the Grizzlies a couple of weeks ago, but then they lost by four against the Kings, and then they lost by one against the Sixers in what was one of those games, again, 
where Russell Westbrook was fouled by Joel Embiid. I'm not saying the Lakers are some disenfranchised team that is <laughs> is is I need some be some help, but at the same time, for a team that needs wins and needs them in an abundance, mm-hmm. um, getting these type of situations is a real, real tough pill to swallow. Absolutely. Speaking of officiating and and tracking and scorekeeping and whatnot, the Jaron Jackson Jr. situation, the Reddit story that dropped this weekend about the Grizzly scorekeepers um, essentially doctoring the blocks that Jaron Jackson Jr. gets is, first of all, I think it's ridiculous because it's <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's as if it makes it seem like uh, the 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 NBA doesn't know and and for. For the people who might not know at home, the NBA has a million and one different safeguards to track and and kind of keep focus on some of these certain stats and make sure that they're done accurately. I know this because I have a friend who works at the league office and literally did that for a job. He is he was watching games, tracking blocks, tracking points, tracking stats. That is, they have so many safeguards when it comes to that you wouldn't believe it. Be, why? Why, wait, why, Lauren? Because they don't want to screw over betters because they don't want to be at risk of losing someone money because they are doctoring stuff. And speaking of betting, ladies and gentlemen, think you know which way it's going to go. Make your bet at Sports Interaction. As much as we love hockey, we're looking forward to one of the biggest days in sports, Super Bowl 57. Eagles, Chiefs, Mahomes. Hurts. It's going to be awesome. And Sports Interaction has you covered pregame, in-game, and prop bets. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Or in Ontario, download the app using the QR code on your screen. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Now, some people think that Jaron Jackson Jr. and the Memphis Grizzlies didn't play responsibly. I would disagree with that. And I think the the reasoning behind that is because there's just too many safeguards. There's no way that one little scorekeeper in Memphis is tallying up blocks and <laughs> rigging the entire system. So it just yeah. doesn't make sense. And if you go back and you look at all of Jaron Jackson Jr.'s blocks this year, which you can do, it is very accessible. Mm-hmm. You can go on NBA stats.com, advanced box scores, click on his blocks and watch every single block he's had this season. You can go and do that and you'll see that most of them if not all of them are blocks mm-hmm. or, or at the very least contest. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, I think the other aspect of this is like, look, we can't be putting Jaron Jackson Jr.'s defensive ability into question just because of some random Reddit post. The Grizzlies went <laughs> no, from 19th on defense to number one in the NBA as soon as Jaron Jackson Jr. returned. He is leading the league in block percentage, obviously leading the league in blocks. His defensive impact, just the defensive field goal percentage of, of teams when he is the rim protector, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. He is leading the league. So I, I personally don't get it. He's still my defensive player of the year pick. Yeah. I understand the need to, to nitpick and whatnot, but I, I, I disagree with all that stuff. I think that was just a nonsense post from Reddit that kind of got circulated and obviously had the league kind of scrapping to find an investi- a, a way to kind of prove this. And they right. did. They did, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because I don't think I've ever really seen something like this question, like the validity um, that really gains enough traction like that. So so I found that to be very interesting, but um, I never really had mistrust or, or concerns because what I mean, when you think of just the betting alone, yeah. when you just even if you're you're not aware of the safeguards, when you think of how much 
when you know how much money there is in sports betting and, and, and how much activity there, there has to be safeguards in place and there has to be um, cross-referencing and, and reviewing to ensure that those are, especially when, I mean, well, I'm not going to get into my sports betting, but <laughs> it, it comes down to, sometimes it comes down to one, like it's either you yeah. are one away. And so you can't have this kind of up in the air question of, oh, was that a block? Was that a block? Oh, well, right. we'll just go ahead and mark it. That's not, you know, there's, there, that doesn't really, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So I yeah. never really questioned the validity of it. Um, Darren Jackson is, Jaron Jackson Jr. is 100% the defensive player of the year. I just, the numbers are there, the team, the team impact is there. So to me, the whole thing was kind of, I don't know, not that significant, but I found it really mm-hmm. interesting how quickly something on NBA Reddit can really can become a conversation that, that yes. everyone is, excuse me, that everyone is now having. And that kind of shows you just the NBA and kind of how quickly, I mean, we've seen it for so long with, with social media and everything, but it, it is all very fascinating. Yeah, I agree. And look, I mean, to your point about betting and how important that is, I think uh, for the same reasons, the NBA should try to implement safeguards into the refereeing aspect of the things. You 100%. Know, what, what we were talking about with the last two minute report earlier, our, our producer Drew was robbed of money earlier, uh, you know, this weekend because of the Lakers Celtics game uh, because of that very whistle. He was saying it pre uh, pre pod. So, yeah, don't don't make people like Drew mad. Anyways. We're done with the refereeing. <laughs> We're done with the scorekeeping. Okay. I could um, go on all day. But yes, yeah. Let's yeah. Move on. And, and look, I, we're, we're trying to be as objective as possible. I think I under, I understand the task, the difficulty of refereeing a basketball game, especially a high intensity NBA game, Lakers, Celtics, you're on national television. I understand that. But at the same time, I think the league needs to implement these certain aspects. Uh, just to be able to add these safeguards and make the game more accurate, especially at the end. You're, you're, you're making the product a little bit worse if you're not doing that. So done with the ref stuff, done with the scorekeeping stuff. Let's move on to some real news. The Miles Turner situation in Indiana. Mm-hmm. He has signed a two-year extension worth $60 million. That actually also adds $17.1 million to his current deal this year, making him worth $35.1 million. He'll make $20 million next year and the year after that. So he's hmm. he's locked in. The interesting thing about this, Lauren, and this goes to a conversation we're going to have in a little bit about the Pacers in general. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can have that conversation now, to be honest with you, because the Pacers have, have struggled. Halliburton hasn't played. He's had a knee injury since January 11th. They are 1-10, 1-10 since he went down. They are now 11th <laughs> in the East after being top six for pretty much the majority of the season. And they are sliding. They are nosediving very, very quickly. Miles Turner, I I actually just saw this a little bit earlier, which is a very, very interesting aspect of things. Um, Hold on. Let me pull it up just to just to make sure. And I want to I want to be clear on this. So from from uh, a analyst, Anil Gagner. Uh, on the NBA, he said the Pacers set up Turner's extension with only a 5% increase in year two instead of an 8% decrease, sorry, a 5% decrease in year two instead of an 8% decrease to ensure he's still trade eligible and doesn't trigger a six-month wait period. For what it's worth, the Lakers could still legally acquire both Turner and Heald at the deadline using Turner's contract. Mm-hmm. And Westbrook's contract, obviously. Right. Yes, so yes. I, I find that really fascinating because while the extension does hint that like, yes, he's made his money, he is now signed on for at least the next couple of seasons in Indiana. Tyrese mm-hmm. Halliburton and him have developed a very good chemistry. I think the Pacers 
for the majority of the season have shown that they can uh, compete, but they're also really young and they don't necessarily need to be a playoff team or a play-in team. They can use this nosedive, sell off of Heald, maybe sell off of Turner, maybe move off of some of the other guys like TJ McConnell and Chris Duarte and whatnot Mm -hmm. and move on for, and, and kind of try to get a lottery pick, try, you know, Look, there's I I've seen this before. the The Oklahoma City Thunder have done it, mm-hmm. where for the first half of the season they're they're great, they're looking good, they're frisky, they're in the playing spot, and then they start to nosedive, getting ready for a lottery pick in the summer. I could see the Pacers doing that as well. And if Turner is on the block still, I'm interested to see if that's something that happens in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, this whole situation is probably one of the most fascinating leading up to the deadline things I've ever. I've ever seen uh, because I've never seen a current a current season salary renegotiated that still allows you to be traded when you're one of the hottest names on the trademark. And and not only that, but your your current year salary is now thirty million dollars. That's insane to me. And so the biggest thing that I take away from this is you don't do anything without intention. So having the five percent decrease as opposed to the eight percent decrease to remain him being or to to keep him. from being or, or allowed to be trade eligible for trade. That is something that I'm very much keeping my eye on because on one hand, if you're just at surface level at first glance, okay, only a two year extension, he gets paid, he gets the money that he's wanted. Um, it's a great deal for both sides. If yep. you know, in the short term and in the long term, I one I tweeted that out. As a matter of fact, I think that that is still the case, but when you're looking at the current trade market and standings and you see how close things are and how some teams could really use someone like a Miles Turner, now you're not just negotiating, okay, Miles Turner has, you know, it's going to be like a six-month rental and then right. you have to deal with that later. That's not the conversation That's a good point. anymore. Yep. So to me, this really makes things interesting with Miles Turner because you've now upped his value by signing that pen it, it that's crazy to me i i just i i'm still wrapping my head around it so yeah. um i think the the lakers scenario is still very interesting i don't want to rule anything out but i am very curious to see how how i guess aggressive the pacers are in terms of okay this is what the price is i if you want to try and go for buddy heel too if you're the lakers or maybe even another team wants to try and get in there i don't know Right. Um, but if you're going to try and trade for Miles Turner, this is his deal. You now have to meet it because to me, Miles Turner, like looking beyond this season, the 20 million uh, average annual to me, he's worth more than that. That's so a steal. I'm, yeah, I'm still ra- I don't understand that. But that seemed like it was always going to be the dollar amount for the extension, no matter how many year- years uh, it ended up being. So if I'm a team out there. I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, yeah, this is absolutely something worth paying for. Golden State, I think, is a great example of somebody that the Pacers could potentially get a really solid return for. So, like I said, at first glance, at the surface level, I absolutely think this is a good move for Indiana if both sides choose to move forward together. But this opens up plenty of opportunities for them. And I don't by any means think that this means that Miles Turner is going to be in a Pacers uniform, uh, I guess, come February 10th. Right. Yeah, I, so. I, I think that's really interesting. And to your point, the aspect of them increasing his value by signing him to this extension, now you have a chance to, to have Miles Turner for two and a half seasons. Yeah. And he can be a part of your core. He can be a building block. It's crazy. And also, to your point, 
at a at a pretty affordable good, deal. Yeah. yeah. Twenty Jesus. million dollars. I mean, I think uh, uh an interesting aspect of this is to look at what Jakob Pertle is gonna make this summer as an unrestricted free agent. Mm-hmm. Uh I imagine Turner has sort of set the value for centers in his range, mm-hmm. uh being a twenty million dollar guy. So I think Jakob maybe maybe makes from anywhere between twenty and twenty two million dollars. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I'm not sure what happens. I do think, though, that the Indiana situation is a little bit more interesting now because of this extension. I think there is a possibility that he still gets moved. I think there's a possibility that Buddy Heald gets moved and Crystal Warren and Jay McConnell. They have some pieces if they want to go the uh, uh, the, the other way, essentially. Um, so that's a team that is, is slumping. Uh, is there another team right now that is potentially slumping? Oof. Yeah. And what's crazy is like, I, I, I struggle to even say this just because of how close the standings are in terms of game differential, but the New Orleans Pelicans are really, really slumping right now. Um, they've lost eight straight. There's everyone knows that they're struggling with availability and, and the injuries right now. But uh, the thing that I kind of wanted to draw attention to is the inconsistencies with the starting lineups. I mean, they, I, I, think new orleans has one of the most deep teams in the league but when you're constantly switching out is brandon ingram available tonight is he not is cj mccollum available is he not i mean while and this is all while you're waiting for zion williamson to come back and and then you're left with a starting lineup of last night it was jose alvarado herb jones Najee marshall trey murphy and and Jonas valanciunas that is really tough to kind of come in and expect this group that yeah, they they log minutes and and again, the the depth chart is is deep. They're all getting minutes, but to expect them to kind of come in and, and get the job done without your top three, that's it's a lot tough. to ask. That's especially ask. against yeah. especially against Milwaukee. So I just the challenges that the Pelicans are faced with right now, you can pretty much throw a rock and hit one. And so I'd like to think that before too too much longer, they'll get some of their guys back, especially Brendan Ingram. Uh, but right now, I think just the inconsistency with the different lineups and the availability is just that's a really, really difficult thing to try to try and overcome. And until they kind of get more answers there, I don't know that it's reasonable to expect things to really turn around for them. Yeah, uh, I I think the health and availability is the biggest factor here. Um, yeah, 100%. Since, since Ingram has come back, he hasn't looked the best either. Um, it, he it's it's kind of. And to be fair, he's been out for a really long time. It's going to take him a little bit to get reacclimated into things. And to your point, asking those younger players that that rotation to fill in and do the same things without your two incumbent superstars, that's a lot to ask. It, it's clear. I mean, like, look, take away two stars from any team and they're going to look <laughs> awful. Um, so I, I'm not necessarily surprised that the Pelicans yeah. are slumping. But I do wonder, you know, what that means for them for this season, because they were looking like, look, for maybe two or three weeks there at the start of the season, they were the first seed. They were top four for a very, very long time before they started slipping. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see what that does in terms of changing maybe their aggressiveness at the trade deadline and what they're willing to, you know, add in there. Because if it's another season of Zion being hurt, and maybe Ingram isn't isn't as uh, available I'm not sure if they make that all-in move. They don't have the pressure on them to make an all-in move in the first place. Mm-mm. But yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see what happens there. I, either way, like when it comes to them slumping, uh, it's it's gonna be like they, they'll they'll need their stars back. They just need right. to be healthy. That's right. all it is. 
And and if I can, tr- I mean, what's crazy is that they're still only what is it? They're the difference between the fourth spot and them is is literally one game. Yeah, the, right. is one game, which is crazy. So that's why on 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 one hand, I think that they could jump right back in it, getting everyone healthy, and that's a that's a big if. But also, go kind of circling back to a previous conversation that we've had about them as a potential OG and Anobi destination, um, making a move like that that I think could be a big move for them, but that doesn't require them to sacrifice a ton, a ton of picks, especially given the treasure chest that they have. Um, I think that that's a move that could really, really help them kind of ease the pain when they have these stretches that aren't where they're not going to have Zion. And and I think we've seen enough to know that kind of year after year, there are probably going to be stretches where you're going to be without Zion. Hopefully they're smaller as opposed they're to few and far between but yeah, yeah that's that's yeah. the goal so which is why i think when a guy like og who's on a similar timeline uh when a scenario like this comes available i absolutely think it's it's a conversation that the pelicans should really be having and i think even with the cj mccollum move they have shown that they're willing to make those moves and kind of push their chips in a little bit so i'm going to yeah. be kind of closely monitoring that situation and see seeing if that gathers momentum in the next God, couple of weeks, couple, couple of weeks, yeah, eleven days, folks, eleven, 11 days, days. eleven days into that trade deadline, and after that, no podcast will have any discussion <laughs> or topics. <laughs> <Of> trades, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I will say, like the the Pelicans' schedule up until the deadline is is sort of daunting. They have the Nuggets uh, tomorrow, and then they go on to play your Mavericks. They have the Lakers, the Kings, the Hawks, the Cavs. And then, and then, yeah, sorry. So that's the, that's the deadline. And then before the all-star weekend, they have the Cavs, Thunder, Lakers, and then they have a nice break there so that their stars can rest up and heal a little bit. I feel like this is a team that is trying to just get their way to that all-star break and hope that Zion can get healthy after the all-star break, hope that BI comes healthy, and then they can really make a surge post all-star break. So I, I don't know. It is going to be interesting to monitor from slumping though. To surging, to teams that are doing really, really well and look like juggernauts. I need to talk to you about the Philadelphia 76ers because yeah. they are now second in the West, uh, Eastern Conference. They don't, they're, they're not in the West. Um, <laughs> they are the fifth offense in the league. They are the sixth best defense since December 1st. They are the number one offense in the league, although their defense has slipped a little bit. They're 14th. The, uh, DeAnthony Melton starting lineup. Of of lineups that have played plus 200 minutes is the sixth best lineup in the NBA. Of lineups that have played over 100 minutes because Maxi has been hurt, the Maxi starting lineup is the ninth best lineup in the NBA. I wrote about why Tyrese Maxi coming off the bench is going to be crucial for the Sixers going forward. Just because one, it forces Doc Rivers' hand a little bit more to be more flexible, more fluid with his lineup changes. He can throw in Melton. He can throw in Maxi. He can bench Tucker and maybe even do the three guard lineups if he wants to. Now there is a level of fluidity there that the the Sixers didn't have previous to Maxi coming off the bench. So I think I'm not going to lie to you. So before the season, I had the Sixers as the NBA title champions. I, I I predicted the Sixers as the NBA champions. I don't think I am as confident in that, but these. Last two months have made me a little bit more confident in my pick. Yeah. Uh, the first two months of the season, I was like, oh, man, this looks like a horrible <laughs> take. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was I was searching for That's reasons fair. how to how to kind of like figure this out. But I think the last two months have made made this make sense. James Harden has been an incredible playmaker. We talked about that last po- last podcast when we were making our All Star decisions. He's leading the league in assists. Joel Embiid, as we said at the top of the show, has been absolutely incredible, MVP worthy. He just won the showdown with Jokic. Um, Tyrese Maxey is is getting into form. I think Tobias Harris, because of Maxey coming off the bench, has been given more touches, more opportunity to kind of be like, hey, I'm involved in this offense. And then DeAnthony Melton and P.J. Tucker, they've, they've kind of given you a, a good punch defensively, especially Tucker, who guarded Jokic in the fourth quarter of that game and did a really, really good job against the two-time MVP. I think there is something there with Philly. And going back to the ever-growing question of the trade deadline, because it seems like this is the topic of the next two weeks for us, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested to see if they can make some marginal moves. If Matisse Thibault is not going to crack the rotation, he seems like a guy who can be valuable for another team. Maybe... Mm -hmm. The Sacramento Kings, who could use some wing depth. Maybe yep. the the Denver Nuggets, who can use some wing depth and defense. I, I'm curious to see how they can improve that team uh, just around the margins. Maybe get another wing defender who isn't as bad of an offensive. Although, to be fair, P.J. Tucker is actually for somehow, despite not shooting, been an offensive plus for the Sixers. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't ask me how. I got to look into that more. <laughs> but but I, I think it's interesting. Uh, that they can maybe make some marginal moves here and there, maybe a backup big for Embiid. I know yeah. Montrezl Harrell has been there, but maybe another guy that yeah. they can throw in there. So I'm not sure what the move is for Philly, but the fact that they are now second in the Eastern Conference, they uh, Embiid looks as good as ever. Harden looks as good as ever in that secondary role. Tyrese mm-hmm. Maxey looks great. DeAnthony Melton has been perfect for them. Uh, Tobias Harris has looked good in his role. Everything is clicking for Philly. They are yeah. the, they have been the best team in the NBA for the last two months. And I'm really curious to see, one, how that changes how they approach the deadline. And two, if my prediction of NBA title champion people, whatever, is yeah. potentially true. Yeah, no, and, and I think it could be. I don't think it's it's at all really off base. Um, I think I was probably in the same boat as you when the season first got off to a start. Um, but yeah, I think personally, the biggest piece of this to me is James Harden. It, I mean, I think there's an argument for, for Tyrese Maxey too, but the way James Harden has been able to slide into playing with Joel Embiid and playing at this level while allowing Joel Embiid to play at his level is, is huge Huge. for Philly to reach their ceiling. And this is exactly what Daryl Morey, um, Doc Rivers, everybody I think had in mind. And, and I, again, Tyrese Maxey you know, being available and, and him playing at the level that he does is a huge part of, of also what they put together. Um, but I think right now, if you're a Philadelphia 76ers fan, you have a lot of confidence going into the second half of the season and kind of marching towards that home stretch before before the playoffs. So um, I like what they're putting together. I'm really intrigued to see what they do at the deadline because I've had a couple of conversations with um, some people that cover the 76ers and it seems like wing depth is kind of the big point of, of conversation for them. And so um, I, I think that they're interested. I think they're really interested in Eric Gordon. Uh, I've heard some Reggie Bullock stuff. I think they're, it's clear that they're looking at this kind of three and D who can we bring in that is going to log minutes and is going to help us kind of, like you said, round out the rotation, round out the roster. So that come playoff time, we are ready to hit the ground running and, and really go as far as, as we intend to go. So I think he's yeah. in a great spot. Um, obviously health is, is the biggest question there. So, um, assuming that everything goes their way, I don't see why they won't be a force to be reckoned with come playoff time. 
I think the one area of concern for me for Philly is guarding that big wing type. And I know mm-hmm. Tucker did a good job on Jokic. I'm assuming that he will be um, the main guy guarding the Durants and Tatums yeah. and Giannis. Is, uh, maybe not Giannis, but the Durants and Tatums of the world uh, come playoff time. I feel like you need another guy. Um, yeah. And, you know, some people would argue that Matisse Thibel is that guy coming off the bench. I wouldn't. I don't think yeah. he is has shown enough offensively, and I think his defense is a little bit overrated. But, yeah, again, he can maybe contribute to another team and help them on that front. Whereas I think Denver probably uh, – sorry, not Denver, but Philadelphia needs a little bit more. Yeah, um, it I, seems I, they've lost confidence in him a little bit. Yes, absolutely, especially Doc Rivers. I just wanted yeah. to mention something about the Harden and Bede connection. Embiid as the role man this season is putting up 1.2 points per 100 possessions. Uh, 1.2 points per possession, excuse me, which is just ridiculous. Every single time he's the role man as a pick and roll ball handler, it is almost a, uh, uh, sorry, not as a pick and roll ball handler, as a pick and roll role man, it is almost always a bucket. That is incredible. He mm-hmm. it just, it's it's insane to think about. Wanted to see if you had another team that was potentially surging. Talk to me. I do. I've got the LA Clippers. They're kind of, they are marching their way up the standings. Um, I think the biggest, biggest part of this, I think a lot of people that maybe aren't watching the Clippers as closely are sitting there thinking, okay, well, half the time their guys are available, half the time their guys aren't. But yeah. in the last 10, Kawhi is averaging 29, 7, and 4. And he has been a massive, massive part of what they're putting together. Uh, Paul George missed a little bit of time, but in his last five, he's at 24 and a half, six and a half and six. So having those two guys really contributing, that's what LA needs. The roster is, I mean, there's, there's room for improvement, but the roster for the most part, the two guys at the top, when you've got those guys available, they are going to win games. Um, but you can't mention, I mean, I can't mention their success without talking about Norman Powell, who's also been really big for them. Um, he's averaging 18 and a half, three and two in their last, in their last 10. And so, um, there's been a lot of discussion about the Clippers and, and, and looking to improve kind of come trade deadline time, but they're really starting to gather momentum and that, I mean, for the Warriors, for the Mavs, the Suns, these are teams that you kind of, you had questions about the Clippers. And so now they're kind of letting you know who they are and where they are. And so you can't, the Clippers, while injuries are going to continue to be a conversation there and the load management and all that you're starting to get an idea of what they look like as currently constructed. Mm-hmm. And that that's very dangerous. They're sixth in the league in three point percentage. And I mean, a lot of their guys are still playing their roles very well. Um, and there, there is clear, clear opportunity for improvement. And it does look like that's kind of where their head is at going into the trade deadline. So the Clippers, not only are they surging right now, but I think you have reason to believe that they're going to continue to do so. Their schedule in February, to put it lightly, is figgity beep. Um, <laughs> to, to put it very, very lightly, I, I actually I love the fact that you brought up the Kawhi thing first because he has looked great. He has. He looks like he's back to his full form. Uh, I mean, he's put up 30 in, in like six of the last 10 games, whatever it is. But like it has been phenomenal to watch. He's been as poised as ever. Uh, just to give you the Clipper schedule, though, just so you can hear this, okay? In February, Bucks, Knicks, Nets, Mavericks, Bucks, Warriors, Suns, Kings, Nuggets, Timberwolves. That is a tough stretch. And it, it mm-hmm. actually it gets kind of difficult in March, too, at the start. So um I agree with you. I think they, they're surging at the right time. I think they yeah. are capital. I think Kawhi looks better, so that always makes them look better. 
Um, and Paul George, you know, we talked about it last week, but I think he's having an all-star worthy type season. I think if you compare how they look, obviously with those two and how they look without those two, it is a drastically different team. Now with the improvement side of things, since we always come back to this freaking trade deadline, mm-hmm. um, I am curious to see if they maybe go and add another rim protector so that they can mm-hmm. throw behind Ibiza Zubats. Yeah. A guy like Chris Boucher comes to mind um, as like a cheap o- option for them. I don't know how interested they are. Again, they have one pick in 2029 that they can move completely unprotected. They have some young guys and an Amir Coffee and a Terrence Mann that they can dangle in trades as well. I, I imagine based on how Steve Ballmer operates, based on how the Clippers operate, they will be aggressive. They yeah. are a team that seems like they are destined to make some kind of move around the margins because they don't really have the time to to kind of be like, okay, we can we can try again next year. No, no, mm-hmm. really. I mean you can, but your two stars who deal with injuries consistently will also be another year older. So yeah, and again, we keep coming back to it, but the Western Conference is wide open. The way that this conference looks, there's a very good chance the Clippers could end up in the NBA Finals if they make a move to shore up their rotation. So. Absolutely. I'm with you there. The Clippers surging is very interesting. The Sixers surging, uh, also very interesting. I think as we head into this trade deadline, again, 11 days, uh, we're going to continue to hear rumors. You know, today we heard a bunch of rumors. Shams Rania had a post about, uh, you know, how the Raptors are looking at certain options and, and how they're going to be assessing things in the next coming weeks. Uh, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be looking at themselves and seeing how they can upgrade. The whole seller's market and buyer's market thing, it it makes it a little bit different because you don't see teams as aggressive. And there is, there really is no star player on the market that is going to want out or ask out unless there's something crazy that happens in the next couple of weeks and we see some kind of bombshell. It's, 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 it's going to be tough to see any like drastic moves, Mm -hmm. but again, it's going to be a very, very interesting trade deadline. Lauren, anything before we head out? No, I, uh, I actually, I will say my last thing. I am remaining hopeful that the Miles Turner dream. I'm, I'm keeping still it alive. alive. I'm still keeping alive? it alive. I okay. refuse to believe it's dead. Okay, I like it. I like it. Well, there was a rumor about your boys in Dorian Finney-Smith and how, hey, there's a lot of traction there with some yep. teams being interested in him, but the Mavericks not willing to move off of him for okay. anything less than a star. Um, yeah. I, I will say I think DFS is huge for what the Mavericks do. He was massive in the playoffs last year for them, so I understand why they value him heavily. So it is what it is. There, we'll see what happens. Again, it's it's we'll going to be these it's going to be these marginal moves to the mm-hmm. casual person listening to this. You probably are thinking Dorian Finney Smith. Yeah, are you serious? Even is that you're not right. willing to move off of him to get Lucas right. some help? Are you? But the reality is they will not move him. They will right. Not. Yeah, and and look, that th- that's going to continue to happen in these next couple of weeks. You're going to see, yeah, you know, there's there's guys like Mason Plumlee that uh, people <laughs> first are, round pick. The, yeah. <laughs> Hornets are asking for a first round pick for right. So the demand, the way that teams are looking for players and asking for a lot for their players is going to continue to happen. Um, so we'll see what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned to the Objective Basketball Podcast. We're going to break it all down here for you. Uh, make sure to do the liking, the subscribing, the reviewing, say all that fun stuff for us on the platforms you guys listen to this. We appreciate you as always. Lauren, thank you so much for listening to my spiels. Uh, and we'll we'll see you guys later. Peace. Follow us at just S. Barahini on all socials and at the Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.